Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Y'all doing okay? Eh? He's doing fine. Everybody doing okay this morning? We're going to jump into a brand new series, and I need to explain kind of the... um, the big picture of the series. So uh, this is a three-part series, but each part contains a lot of subparts, right? So our first, our first uh, leg of this series is called the order, uh, is called what your card says, which is order and man. Okay, that's the first series in this. And that's going to take us about six weeks. And we're going to be walking through just a couple of chapters in Genesis, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. We'll, we'll find our, our bearings in some other passages of Scripture as well. But we're going to talk about the order. Uh, we're going to talk about order and man. Uh, in the second part of this series, also going to be about six weeks long, we're going to talk about disorder and man. Because it's at that point we're going to walk into all of the chaos, all of the sin nature of man. We're going to look at uh, all of the things that we kind of wrecked uh, in, God's, in God's system. And then the third part of the series, which is going to take until Jesus returns, uh, that is, that is uh, reorder and God. Reorder and God. So God is responsible for reordering everything. He's the responsible one for uh, setting things to rights. And so we're going to look at that, and we'll be studying through the story of Joseph, the choosing of Abraham, all of those pieces. But today, we begin this idea of order and man, and there's a really big reason why we need to go through a series on Genesis. Uh, it's, probably, it's probably as needed, uh, maybe even more so, as a series on, say, the book of Revelation, which is often a book that's ignored by most people pastors and teachers. Genesis is uh, ignored lately because Genesis is a hard thing to understand in light of what we see in science, what we see in the world. And we are in a very important, um, I would say, transition, especially as Americans. We're in an important transition in our culture in that belief is at an all-time low for America. Belief is at an all-time low, and there's reasons why belief is at an all-time low. You can jump on the bandwagon of some, uh, some uh, Christian philosophies that say the reason why uh, belief is at an all-time low is because man is a horrible, wretched piece of junk, and he hates God, and he just wants to run from him. And sure, there's times when that's true for each and every one of us, but a better understanding of what's actually happening is that we as people are meaning-generating people, okay? We are meaning-generating people. We look at the world and we search for meaning inside of what we see. And we have to have meaning in order to make sense of our existence. And so we look at science, we look at worldviews across the, uh, the spectrum of worldviews, And we begin to pull those worldviews that, in our opinion, speak uh, clearer to what we observe with our eyes. That's what we're doing. We're meaning-based or meaning-generating people, and we're looking for, and the world is looking for meaning in the world around us. This is true of you, too. You've looked for meaning, you've desired meaning for every aspect of your life, and you've sought it, and you, if you are a Christian, you have found a greater meaning in the things that God has told you, 
the things that uh, the scripture teaches. And so we're in this place where we need meaning and the world is looking for meaning. And in doing so, and this is really a shocker for you, or should be, the world is not finding the answers in the church. Now that's not that the world shouldn't find the answers in the church. It is that the world is not finding the answers in the church. Because in many ways, uh, the church and Christians, we tend to be a bit prejudice towards certain ideas, and we're unwilling to reason, we're unwilling to think well, and then the world says, I've weighed and measured your thoughts and ideas, I found them wanting, and I don't want anything to do with what you say. That's what the world does, okay? Look at these stats, and this is on the back of your cards, something for you to fill out so you have some details. Um, The Pew Research Group in 2021 found, in their, in their polling, found that three in ten U.S. adults identify as nuns, N-O-N-E-S. That is no religious affiliation, not women who wear Catholic garb, okay? Right? So nuns, and they, they don't find any, uh, any worldview in particular that's really speaking to them. That's a massive amount of people. It's a massive amount of people. 30% of U.S. adults now are in this place. Gallup Research did a poll in 2022, the next stat. Gallup Research showed that there was a 6% drop in U.S. adults who believe in God from 2017. Now, Pew's research was done just in 2021. Gallup's was done just this year. And they saw a 6% drop from a poll they took back in 2017, which has set America at an all-time low. And this may not sound like much. Much to you, but it set America at an all-time low in that U.S. adults who believe in God are only at about 81%. Now you look at that and go, that's amazing. 81% is a huge deal. 81% is the lowest in American history ever. And the drop is precipitous and it's going to keep tanking. And I am telling you the reason why is because the church is not giving good answers. The church is just sitting there pretending like uh, Sunday school answers will do for the questions that the world is asking. This is not just an issue among U.S. adults. This is also an issue for millennials. Uh, Another definition or a term that I want you to hear is something that, uh, next slide, guys, is something that, nope, before that, guys, there should be one. Did I not put it in there? Yeah, syncretism. Uh, Syncretism is what's happening among millennials, okay? Syncretism is the amalgamation or the attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. What are millennials doing with worldviews? They're looking at a worldview that says, that makes sense of this part of my life, and that makes sense of this part of my life, and that makes sense of this part of life, and I'm going to accept all of these things melted together in some weird concoction that I call my faith, or that I call my spirituality, right? Now listen, these people are not thumbing their nose at God. They're literally looking for an understanding of the world around them because we're meaning-generating people. And so they look for it and they go, that makes sense, and that makes sense, and that makes sense because we die if we don't have meaning. We die. It doesn't make sense to us. So we don't understand the purpose of living. 
if we don't have meaning. So, uh, so millennials are doing this, and they're picking and choosing, and they're trying to find things that make sense of forgiveness, things that make sense of love, things that make sense of how the earth got here, how people got here, all of this stuff. And guess what they're doing? They're not saying, Jesus has all the answers. They're actually saying, I can't find the answers in the church. Michaela Peterson, she is Jordan Peterson's daughter. Uh, Before she became a Christian, because she recently uh, gave her life to Christ, uh, before she became a Christian, uh, she was asked why she didn't believe in any faith or any religion. And this was her answer. She said, because we're taught science, and it, religion, we were taught science, and religion really doesn't make sense if you don't really think about it. So religion takes mental processing. It does, right? If you don't really think about it, and if you don't experience it. I love that statement. Religion doesn't make sense if you don't really think about it, and you don't experience it. So today, what we're going to do as we jump into this series is with with the realities that we just dealt with, the polling data that says that the world is, America is losing faith in, in some drastic measure, we are going to start this series by talking about the order of belief. I want you guys to understand how we arrive at our beliefs. Because every one of us uses the four things that I'm about to share with you. There are four ways in which each and every one of us know the things that we know. Four ways in which we know the things that we know. And when you get your mind wrapped around these four types of knowing, and you start to see how belief is generated, you're going to understand probably why you think what you think. Okay, The first one on your card is a type of knowing that is called propositional knowing. So I want you to write this down on your card. Propositional knowing is knowing about things. Two plus two equals four. That's propositional knowing. Okay, These are the things that we look for in life and we say these are absolutes. How many of you have have wanted or needed or uh, argued with people that there are absolutely absolutes in life? Yes? I was in eighth grade, and I was sitting in my uh, eighth grade science class, and the uh, overflow of my father came out, right? And my uh, my teacher, whose name was uh, Dr. Lewis, and if you didn't call him Dr. Lewis, he had a problem. He thought he was cool. But anyway, so Dr. Lewis, you know, and and he would do these, he would say all kinds of nonsense, right, whatever. And one day he said that we needed to come to the realization as kids, we needed to come to the realization that there were no absolutes in life. There are no absolutes. And overcome by my father, I raised my hand and I said, are you absolutely sure of that? Right? It's a common response. People do this all the time. Are you absolutely sure of this? I sat in the hallway for the rest of class, right? And he didn't like me for the rest of the year anyway. And me and my buddy, good friend John Ely, uh, we laughed about this forever, right? Because it was just some way that Nathan got himself in trouble, right? 
But the idea is propositional knowing is where we get to absolutes. And when people say that there are no absolutes, they're not 100% wrong. Their problem is they've conflated types of knowing. There are absolutes in propositional knowing. And then there are things that we can't know. But they're based in different levels of knowing. So the first one is propositional knowing, and that is knowing about things. The second one that you need to know is called procedural knowing. Procedural knowing. Procedural knowing is knowing how to do things. Now, let me put the propositions and let me put the procedures together in your mind. If I told you what balance was, if I told you what gear ratios were, if I told you how a bicycle operated and worked, does that mean you know how to ride a bicycle? No, you don't. But if you get on a bicycle and you start to work it out, you then begin to understand or gain a new type of knowing, don't you? You don't have to propositionally know a dang thing about a bicycle. You know how much I knew about a bicycle before I rode a bicycle? Nothing. I knew nothing. I knew my dad took my training wheels off because he was a jerk. No, he wasn't, right? I, I, knew that, I knew nothing about bikes. I knew nothing about balance. I understood nothing about physics. I just got on a bicycle. And then I was pushed down the road, and I veered to the left and slammed into the porch. So <laughs> I, I'm accident prone, and I do this kind of stuff all the time. Anyway, procedural knowing is knowing how to do things. If I was to, uh, if I was to ask about your workplace environment uh, and what you know of work, you would probably respond with a bunch of uh, procedural knowing, a bunch of things that you do and you know how to do. This is one of the great dilemmas in college education right now because our world is obsessed with propositional knowing and so we teach a bunch of things to people and then we release them into the work field and they don't know how to do squat. How many of you know that's true? How many of you know that's true of you too at times, right? Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Procedural knowing is knowing how to do things. Third type of knowing is perspectival knowing. Now, that's a fun thing to say, isn't it? I want you all to say it with me just because it's fun, okay? Perspectival knowing. Fancy $50 word that simply means you know how to perceive things. Perspectival knowing is your knowing from your perception, from where you are. Now, this becomes an interesting thing in life because we try with sympathy, we try to put ourselves in other people's shoes, right? We try to gain another perspective so that we might understand, so that we might know something. But here's a challenge. You can't ever fully get into someone else's shoes. You can't ever fully do it. It's not that you shouldn't try. It's just that you can't fully do it. So for example, if I was talking to a woman who had been uh, verbally, physically, and sexually abused by a husband, although I could sympathize and feel pain for her and put myself into her shoes in some sense so that I could give her guidance maybe to, to walk out of that situation or to learn how to forgive, I as a man cannot know what she feels. I can't. 
That doesn't mean that we can't help each other. That doesn't mean we should be pro-women or pro-men. This is nonsense. It just simply means I can never get into that perspective. I should try, and there's knowing that comes from it, but I can't ever do that fully. When it comes to your Christian life, you have a perspective. We have an American perspective. We might have a male-female perspective. We might have a Pentecostal perspective. We might have a Baptist perspective. We might have a lot of different perspectives. And those perspectives, guess what? They cloud how you see the world. They do. It's just a fact. You have plenty of filters, and many of them you don't know you have. Okay? Until you talk to somebody else and they point them out to you. And then you usually buck and don't like it, right? <laughs> we, we all have filters. Perspectival knowing is knowing how to perceive things, or maybe you might say it this way, knowing how to perceive the world around you. The next one, the fourth type of knowing, participatory knowing. Knowing how to relate to the world. This is what happens when you're participating in the world around. But it's not just procedural knowing. This is how you actually relate to everybody around you. We're humans. We relate to the world differently than dogs do. Right? I hope you do. <laughs> right? Because if you're peeing in the corner at home, you've got a problem. Anyway, so that's where Nathan's mind has to go with these things. Anyway, so the idea of these types of knowing is a very big deal. And these types of knowing are actually what construct every single belief you have. You just don't know it but you're about to find out. And the reason why you can't trace those things or can't try to, can't figure them out is because this is not the order in which things go in life in order to arrive at a belief. It's actually reversed. It's flipped upside down. So the next slide. The first thing that we need to do in knowing and creating belief in life is we need to participate in the world around us. We must participate in the world around us. Did you notice that Jesus, when he calls his disciples, does not say, come and sit down and let me teach you a bunch of doctrinal truths. He says, come and follow me, right? Come and participate in the story that I'm leading you into, okay? Participatory knowing how to relate to the world matters. And guess what? If we relate to the world as a Christian... It's going to change a lot of things. Jesus tells us that we're supposed to love our enemies. Do you know how the rest of the world views enemies? As enemies, right? They hate their enemies. But we're supposed to love our enemies. If we're participating in the kingdom of God, if we're participating in Jesus' worldview, it's going to change how we act. Because, as you're going to find out, it changes what you believe. It makes you believe something different. So Jesus invites people to follow after him. And then perspectival knowing enters into the picture, which is how to perceive things. So if Jesus comes to you and says, you're supposed to love your enemies, and you say, I don't like this, and he says, listen, I want you to gain a right perspective. You too were a sinner. You too were an enemy of God. And what did he do? He loved you. He died on a cross for you, even when you hated him. That perspective shifts everything. But if you maintain a perspective that you're awesome and everybody else in the world is a leech, 
<laughs> you suck. Okay, that's, that's the problem, right? But if you believe that, you're going to treat people in all kinds of weird ways, aren't you? Because your perspective is wrong or flawed. So Jesus says, participate with me. Now I'm going to show you who you are inside of this story. You're not God, by the way. You are a servant of God. And then procedural knowledge enters into the picture because Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I don't want you to do. Amen? So think about this with, uh, with Peter. Peter is met by Jesus in a boat, and the great dilemma among theologians and scholars is when does Peter come to know Jesus? When does he actually get saved? When does he believe? And it's a challenging thing, right? Because we might look at it from the beginning and say, well, he just knew it. What happens with Peter? Jesus approaches him on a boat, and he falls on his knees weeping that this Savior, that this king is standing before him. He's broken. Does Peter believe then? My argument is no. He doesn't believe then. He's invited to participate in something, and there's something been told to him or revealed to him, not by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit, that Jesus is who he says he is, or he's going to prove he is what he says he is. Okay? So Peter falls on his knees. Then the perspective of Peter changes, and he invites him to be a disciple, and Jesus is showing him different things, and that perspective is shifting from the perspective of a devout or a faithful Jew to something very, very different. Somebody who sees Messiah has come. Somebody who sees God's ultimate plan unfolding. So his perspective changes. And then the procedural knowing is Peter walking with Jesus. And he walks on water and he sinks. And he does this and he screws that up. And he denies Jesus and he does all these different things. But there's this really amazing moment where everybody's asking who Jesus is. And Peter and Jesus says to Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. What happens with Peter right there? A big, long journey of knowing. A big, long journey of knowing. It took Peter a long time to figure out who Jesus was fully. And what I mean by that is to figure out who Jesus was here, not just here. He walks with him. And guess what, church? This is actually how discipleship works. But we screwed it up a long time ago, and we made, we made following Jesus the same as checking out at the fast food restaurant. Instant, instant, instant. Pray this prayer, instant. You're saved, you're saved, you're saved. You know what? If we feed everybody a bunch of propositional knowing about Jesus, they know what the demons know. And the demons shudder, the scripture says. You can know every stupid trivia question your Sunday school teacher ever taught you. But if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. Depart from me, I never knew you. You got all the facts down, but you don't know who he is. So, Peter has a participation in a story. He has a perspective that shifts. He has procedural knowing, walking out things. And guess what Peter comes to know with the propositions that get fed to him at this point? He comes to a belief. Jesus is who he says he is. But it took time. How many of you would say it took time for you to really come to know 
who Jesus is? Yes. How many of you would say you're still getting to know who Jesus is? Yes. Right? Because your belief is growing, it's shifting, it's changing, it's adapting as this story unfolds. Because this type of knowing, these four types of knowing are the order of all belief. They're the order of all belief. If you participate in something and you gain a perspective right to it and you walk in the actions that it asks you to do, you have a belief about the thing. You arrive at a belief about the thing. You say, Nathan, that's great. What in the world does this have to do with Genesis? Has everything to do with Genesis specifically in that it has everything to do with how we interpret the Bible? One of our greatest problems in biblical interpretation is that we stopped participating, gaining perspective, and walking things out, and we have taught everybody propositional truths. And we've done it forever. And guess what propositional truths do? They feed someone a belief, but they don't actually have the belief. If you teach your kids... This is a propositional approach to the gospel. If you teach your kids that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is that a true statement? Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you teach your kids the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, is that a true statement? These are propositional truths. If you teach your kid, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... And whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a true statement, isn't it? Yes, awesome. And then what you do is you say, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. And people go, I believe that Jesus is Lord, save me. Magic prayer, right? And then what happens? The great exodus of teenagers from faith because you fed them propositional truths that didn't invite them to participate in anything. It didn't ask them to gain a new perspective. It didn't invite them to walk after Jesus. Jesus never does the gospel that way. He never once says, here's the facts, believe it, I'm done. He says, come and follow me. He says, walk this out with me. And the church, because the church has gotten this backwards, or because the world at large in our scientific minds have focused so much on propositional knowing, we have put faith into propositional knowing, and we don't know how to make disciples. We also don't know how to make people interpret the Bible right, because they didn't realize they were participating in the story. They didn't gain the perspective of the original hearers. They don't actually have any procedural knowledge of dissecting languages or understanding things, but they arrive at a propositional truth that says, God created the world this way. This is dumb. And the world doesn't like our answers. Because our answers are dumb. Our answers don't make sense. Our answers sound like we're little kids believing fairy tales while everybody else in the world goes, Psst. that's the way it's happening. In ancient cosmology, Jewish people believed that the world was a flat disk, a giant flat disk, and it had four pillars that upheld this disk. 
and it had an archway that bridged over this entire place that was land and sea and all this other stuff, right? This archway was over top of it, and there was a canopy of water above, and there was water below. And how did they get this image of cosmology? They read their Bibles. And that's what they came to. But guess what happened much later? Science. We zoomed out and found the world is a globe. Turns out there's no pillars attached to things at all. What's happening here? Uh Uh-oh. Is God wrong? No, God never told you to see it that way. You are a meaning-generating person. And so you looked at it and said, I have to figure it out. So you painted a picture. But guess what happens when your picture's wrong? Most Christians, they double down. They fold their hands, stomp their feet, and say, science is stupid. (laughs) Okay. If you continue to hold that position without faithful study, without pursuing things well, if you hold that position, that 81% of believers is going to drop. It's going to keep dropping and keep dropping and keep dropping. And it's not because people hate God. It's because you don't make sense. It's because our message is not giving them the answers that they're actually looking for. And trust me when I say, they just want to make sense of the world. Now, are there stubborn atheists that absolutely hate Christians? Yes. Are there people that despise God with everything that they are? Yep, there are. Are, Is that the majority of people? Majority of people are going, I just want to know what's happening. I just want to figure out life. I want to understand life. So, We're going to dissect Genesis, and we're going to be looking into this in a very hard way. Because as we look into it, we're going to dive into these types of knowing. And we're going to explore what it is that Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, 4, 5, and 6, we're going to look at what these actually say based on not only the original languages, best we understand them, we're going to look, look at it trying to gain the perspective of a non-scientific world. We're going to try to see it gaining the perspective of a highly superstitious world. We're going to gain a perspective that shows that Genesis 1-1 or Genesis chapter 1 is not a science textbook. Nobody would have written it that way. But instead, we have to look at what Hebrew poetry looks like and what we're supposed to gain from it. We're going to learn the difference between how to interpret something versus whether or not something is conveying information for us. We're going to look at all these types of knowing. We're going to understand this a bit better because my aim is to equip you to actually have a solid answer for the people in your world that are scratching their heads and saying, I just don't see it. I don't see that there's any truth in Christianity. Well, I like this thing about Christianity. It talks about forgiving people, so I'll take that part and abandon everything else. Now, we want them to accept everything, right? And we need to understand everything in a much, much better way. When it comes to these types of knowing, guys, it is 
It is so revolutionary when you think about how these things affect you. If, if, you, want to, if you want to know your spouse, if you want to know them, should you just go and study facts about them? Wouldn't work, would it? They'd be like, yeah, you know my favorite things. This is what every marriage needs to do. Tell me your favorite candy bar. Tell me your favorite soda drink. Tell me this and this. Okay, I know them. No, you don't. You know some weird trivia about the people that you claim to love. But what happens if you actually begin to participate with them? You begin to walk through scenarios or life or anything with them. You begin to know them in a different way, right? What happens when you put yourself in their shoes to the best of your ability? You change your perspective. What happens? You get to know them way better. What happens when uh, the procedural knowledge of marriage happens? How many of you knew everything there was to know before you got married and it's been smooth sailing ever since? I know that's not true and you're a liar. Okay, so, right? Like, Okay, it's not. And, and this is what's really strange. Guess what the world wants? The, the world says, you know what you should do? You should live with a person before you get married to them. Do you know why they say it? Because the world knows something you don't know. And that is participating makes you know something, right? Procedural knowledge does. It doesn't mean it's right, right? It doesn't mean you should live together with a person, but it is really important that you begin to know them in all these different ways. And what happens, here's what's really crazy, if you start to participate with somebody, if you gain a right perspective of that person, and you start to walk out life with them, all of a sudden the propositional truths of that person come in, and you start to believe things. The first thing you'll believe is, I don't want to marry this person, (laughs) right? That's not the person I want now. Or it might be, wow, she or he is better than I ever imagined. Because what do you know now? You actually know the person. We've done this with God for so long, guys. Are you saved because you know that God is omniscient? You're not. Because it doesn't matter if you know that or if it's even true. Are you saved if God is sovereign, you knowing that God is sovereign? Nope. You're not saved because you know God is sovereign. Are you saved because you know the right doctrines for the Protestant churches? No. I've said this before and it's been lost on many people because it sounds like circular speech. But you are saved by grace through faith, right? You are not saved by grace through faith because you know you're saved by grace through faith. You're like, what the heck are you saying, Nathan? It's not this that makes you actually saved. It's a truth. It's a thing that after you walk with it, you start to understand. When the Christian life is centered around uh, propositions, when everything is propositions, and then life goes weird, okay? God saves sinners. God loves you. He sent his son for you. And the propositions are God doesn't like sin, but God saved sinners. And then all of a sudden you start walking in sin. And what do you do? You don't know God, so you think he's just this harsh cosmic bully. And so you start walking in sin, and you think he's just going to strike you with a lightning bolt at every turn. You know what you don't know? You don't know him. You don't know the relation 
of God. You knew a bunch of facts. Good for you. The demons believe those things, and they shudder. Over the next six weeks, next five weeks, as a matter of fact, we're going to dig into Genesis, and we're going we're to stretch. I'm going to stretch you. I will probably make enemies of some of you. It's fine. Here's what I would rather have happen. You hear me out. You test what I say. If you find something that is wrong, push back. Push back hard. Doesn't bother me. I enjoy this kind of thing. But we're going to test. We're going to push. We're going to stretch our minds. Because we need to gain a very, very different perspective of the way we're participating in this story of God. And we need to see how to walk this stuff out so that we can actually know what to believe. Amen.